is Zach Langley-Tichi. I am so popular, and tonight I am joined by a very fabulous guest, one of my favorite charismatic Twitter personalities and podcast guest. <laughs> uh, we're, ta- we're talking about uh, three instances of masculinity on film with Pumping Iron, Rhinestone, and, of course, True Lies. Who are you? Hello. Hey. Hi, here we are. Um, I'm really excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, my pleasure. So who are you? Oh, yes, I'm sorry. <laughs> um, I knew that you said something, but I like didn't fully register what it was. Yes, so I'm, uh, I'm a Red Bull girlfriend on Twitter. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm nice online. Very true. And what are you doing? Uh, right, right now. Whenever, wherever. Well, I'm I am literally about to cook breakfast, um, which is a fairly accurate representation of what I'm doing at basically any time, which is like either I'm suffering at an office job or uh, planning a meal. Cute. And why do you follow me? Um, I was thinking about this because I knew you were going to ask mm-hmm. because, of course, I listened to your podcast. Um, I think that I followed you initially because I heard you on TPN or or because I like saw you interacting with perfume Twitter. Mm. Um, the perfume goblins, like, yum. Right, yeah. And then I was like, wow, what a fabulous person this is. Uh, and I, I started following you and I fell instantly in love. Oh. And then I started listening to your podcast. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening. No, I um, I remember my first encounter with the persona of Red Pill Girlfriend was on your appearance on Car Crash, which is one of my favorite podcast episodes of the year. Um, oh my god. <laughs> I just love the energy that happens on Car Crash every time. I just went on last week as well, and it, it always feels yeah. like people in a room together which is like a really magical quality for a podcast like recorded on the internet and um no i just found you to be so charismatic uh so fascinating and every single detail i learn about you as we continue to <laughs> interact makes me even more compelled the second i found out that you were barbie for halloween i lo- i lost my shit honestly <laughs> well then yeah, I'm. Uh, I I really um, could not be more excited to be doing this podcast episode with you. Oh, thank you. Yeah. So we're today we're talking about um, masculinity on film a little bit, and I think that we share a special bond in um, the kind of men we're both attracted. <laughs> yes, I think that you might be right about that, uh, and it's nice because um, a lot of other women don't like big gorgeous muscular men Mm -hmm. um and so i i'm like very alone in in my admiration of like bodybuilders uh because i'll like uh, you know i'll send like a picture of a hot guy to the the ladies group chat and they'll be like ew he's gross and i'm like you don't you're really really misunderstanding what's going on no yeah i mean okay i think i've known like since forever like since the dawn of time that like that kind of uh male form has been most interesting to me and i remember um i felt like deep shame about it because whenever i would mention it to girlfriends they would do the the same line the ew you like guys who look like that in the most like performative like obnoxious little voice that's like clattering their nails together (laughs) (laughs) yeah i think um it's interesting when I was younger, I, I was not attracted to masculine men, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, I, it sort of developed over time. And I should disclose that m- my boyfriend is a power lifter. So he's not like a bodybuilder, but he, you know, he's, he's like a, a big, massive, muscular guy. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of the first guy that I ever dated who really looked like that. And so that unlocked my appreciation. Uh, and I really think that women who think that guys like this are gross have never been in a room with one. Yeah. I think you're, you're in a room with one of these men and you're like, it's like a different it's a completely different experience of them. So it's one to like see a picture of one of these guys, but to be physically near one of them 
and to see how massive he is you're you like turn into like a like a settler's wife you know <laughs> you're so right i mean this is i think one of the most compelling parts of a truly beautiful masculine man in that way is that it has like this sort of like apollonian power to it like when you're in a space with them you kind of like can feel that the energy in the room like the whole social consciousness like the atmosphere it's all pointed in their direction a little bit do you know what i mean yes of course because i mean that well and that is what i think makes um Arnold who he is, is that it's not really, he is of course a, a beautiful, handsome man, but he's incredibly magnetic uh, because he's also incredibly charismatic. Um, and so I really, you imagine like you see in, I, I, I don't want to jump in and talk about the movie, but you see in Pumping Iron how, um, how like everybody, nobody can take their eyes off of them. Oh yeah. It's, it's, um, it's almost disturbing in a way how much charisma Arnold has. Like, even when I oh, yeah. was uh, just like watching like Kindergarten Cop and stuff with like my dad. Oh my god! Yeah, I mean Kindergarten Cop is my favorite movie. Oh, it's fucking incredible. It's so good. I I truly like. I judge every other movie off of whether or not I enjoyed it as much as Kindergarten Cop. That's like how I know whether or not I liked it. Yeah, it's your five stars. I mean just seeing him like sit in a room and move his face around there is just a quality to him that takes the universe by storm and uh rides it with the reins in hand and i think that perhaps a lot of like the performative disinterest and bodybuilders that um women put on is is kind of like almost a fear and an attempt at denial of uh this inevitable truth that um when you have charisma just both physically and emotionally seeping out of you, then you kind of do control the world in a way. Like, it has, like, this, like, fascist, overpowering sensation. And it's uh, it, it's almost alarming. It's, like, disturbing and frightening. And so, you know, people try to deny it as a way to uh, escape the truth. Yes. I also think for women it is a lot harder to pretend that you're equal to someone who's like three times your size. You know? <laughs> and so like for, especially for women, my age and younger, um, as I maybe even, even more so for women who are younger than me, if you think about, you know, Timothy Chalamet, who everybody loves now, mm -hmm. who looks like a, like a sickly child to me. Um, I think like women love that kind of man because he is such a non-threat and they're, so they like, it's easy to like keep up the, the like masquerade of total equality with someone who looks like that. But then, you know, if, if your boyfriend looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger, like there's no way that you like think that you're equal. <laughs> no. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of or even that you think that you're the same, you know, like there could not be a clearer indication of difference between the genders than a you know a man who looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger and like literally any girl no absolutely I, it's like people are really afraid of uh power differentials people want to just imagine that they are precisely the same and on equal footing in a way that they can potentially um control and like dominate like the opposite in their partner like that they they are hoping for like you said like the Timothy Chalamet like his limbs to me seemed like you could break them really easily if you like just knocked him over or something like he would fall to the ground like like the sound of glass breaking would happen right yes that's so true yeah and so because like those kind of like celery men are like so you know they're, they're so it's so easy to imagine that you could take control in a relationship and that you can deny the you know reality of difference between you people do flee towards that but i've always been like really interested in like extreme like difference in power dynamics and uh i mean nothing says that more than a, a charismatic bodybuilder yeah i'm um, yes absolutely yeah so we're going to talk about three movies today that kind of um elucidate this fact in the brightest truth 
And the first of these is a documentary feature from 1977, was its release, um, called Pumping Iron. I'm feeling of coming in the gym, I'm getting the feeling of coming, 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 coming. coming. Okay, tell, you've been in, you've been a big Arnold Schwarzenegger fan for um, most of your life, right? Um, no, actually, oh. I was like totally disinterested in art. I'm okay. Let me back up a tiny bit. So you have to understand that I am basically a completely different person than I was four years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, so there are a lot of things that feel like they are like deeply a part of the like script of my life that are still new. Uh, like my love of Arnold Schwarzenegger is one of those things. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I was totally indifferent to him, but my uh, my boyfriend would watch lifting videos because if you if you are a power lifter, you're like constantly watching other power lifters lift so that you can learn things. Um, so he's always watching videos about lifting and like watching videos of guys lifting and like there's like a whole thing, um, which I don't mind at all. Um, and so I first encountered like the, just these videos of like Arnold talking about like some kind of lift. Um, and then eventually my boyfriend started, may started having me watch, uh, movies that Arnold Schwarzenegger was in, which are just like every single one of them is so much fun. He's like, once you consume enough of him, there's no way that you can like him. If you're just like a normal, kind-hearted human, there's nothing not to like about Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, I every single film appearance I've ever seen him in, he is just radiating charm. And it makes right. so much sense to me that the only person who kind of has like that same charming effect on me is also Caitlyn Jenner. And it makes sense that both of them like <laughs> ran for California politics. That is really interesting. Yeah, I think um, that's like, that's why even his really terrible movies are still a really good time because he just it is so fun to watch. It's like, you know, like um, that one where he gets pregnant, Junior, just a, a, just a like a terrible, awful movie that I would watch at any time. Oh, absolutely. I mean, um, that movie Hercules in New York, like his first film appearance. Oh, yeah. Uh, which yeah. has this like voice overdubbed on top of it. Like, um, while he just looks so unbelievably charming, and every single person in the movie is just like constantly like trying to like touch him and like completely right. consume his whole image, like with their eyes, and like even from that completely like malfunctioning, like disastrous, like camp mess, like there is so much power in just Arnold Schwarzenegger's appearance. Yeah, absolutely. And I, uh, I saw some bits and pieces of pumping iron, uh, at some point when just like my boyfriend was watching it, but this was the first time that I like sat down to watch it oh, all the way through. Yeah, that's great. Cause I also first experienced it in the same way. I think everyone has seen the clip of, um, Arnold talking about how, uh, getting a pump is like, is better than coming. Yes. Yeah. That's a classic, uh, no, he's, he, you know, his, his whole thing is that he's coming all day because he's coming when he works out, he's coming when he gets pumped to pose and then he's coming when he goes home at night. Uh, and, uh, you know, God bless him. God bless him. I know. And he has that just adorable, charming smile on while he says this and it's just, I, what? And like a bad haircut, it's just, it's so cute. Like, it's a really precious little view of him. Yeah, no, it totally is. I think Pumping Iron is truly one of the most impressive pieces of Americana ever made. Um, In the way that it's like literally about a bunch of like immigrants. <laughs> like, right. Yeah. I, um, I learned some interesting things about it because um, I, uh, not for, not like on purpose really, but because my boyfriend knows all sorts of things about bodybuilding. 
he was telling me that at the at the time that that movie was made um these guys were like freaks basically it was really it was really uncommon for you to see men who looked like this and even now we you know you don't see a lot of bodybuilders like out in the world but when you see them you like understand why they look like that you know Mm -hmm. um and at the time people would encounter these guys and be like completely baffled by like how how it is that they looked the way they looked and like what was going on like nobody knew anything about lifting unless you were like deeply embedded in it no, um, totally and um and i think that like lends a different sort of i don't know it, it colors the picture in a different way that these are like you know weird nerds and they just happen to be completely perfect and beautiful right because i mean <clears throat> when the, when this movie came out it wasn't like this was literally like filmed i think in like 1975 like released in like 1977 it was not sexy or like uh really eroticized except for like people who are like deeply into like you know some kind of fetish or or what have you but this movie not only is it just a wonderful like set of 85 minutes just getting to hang out with arnie (laughs) like it's also like kind of this incredible will to power where these men and their innate charisma is so powerful and so fascinating that it begins to reshape the entire country's view of uh this sport and the men who participate in it yeah um but yeah i do uh i i do sort of share your feeling that i really just like liked looking at it also uh yeah because honestly i i mean this is going to be a reoccurring theme of the episode obviously but i mean i it is very difficult for me to uh discern plot or content from this because this is like just truly like a eye melting for me like i feel like the indiana jones like melting like white <laughs> like white death at the very end of the movie like looking yeah. at this film what it is for me is like it, you know when they're posing i feel like they look a little silly but i agree I, it, really, it really knocks me out to see them work out because you can see like how powerful they are um it's really it's just extraordinary and i'm like uh (laughs) we were watching this movie with my boyfriend yesterday and i'm like trying to be very cool about it because i you know it's i don't want to be like um you know inappropriate in any kind of way but at some point towards the end of the movie they're all like celebrating after uh after uh arnold has won mr olympia they're eating something and i (laughs) i was like imagine how much food you would have to cook to feed them all and my boyfriend was like yeah i bet you are thinking about that (laughs) (laughs) it's like i yeah that that would be quite a task to feed all those guys yeah Uh, there's something really lovely in this movie as well which is that they kind of like are they kind of characterize arnold as a kind of like an antagonist here right Mm-hmm. Yeah, because they kind of put like Lou as like the as, as the protagonist, and like Arnold is like kind of like the terrifying, like looming force in the distance. Like he's the the ultimate power that has to be overcome, and like Lou is the underdog, right. as it were. And I think it's sort of unavoidable because Lou has such a sweet relationship with his dad. So like whether they meant to do that or not they it 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 would have come off that way because his like it's just so sweet the way that his dad works with him um that that was one of my favorite things about it really is like the he's so proud of him uh and just like they they love each other so much it's really just so such a beautiful thing to see yeah absolutely um and then on the other hand you have uh the story that like uh, Arnold puts out, he's like, I skipped my father's funeral, which, like, has been, (laughs) which has been, like, refuted and then doubled down on and denied again. And I'm not, I'm, like, not quite sure what I think about it at all. But for some reason, I still find it kind of cute. Like, (laughs) yeah, well, his father was a Nazi, I think. Oh, yeah. I mean, and he was also, like, extremely abusive. Right. So like, you know, you, you gotta understand. I also, I imagine that that was sort of a tenuous like political position for him to be in. Mm. Um, although I don't know, maybe like people were not as concerned about Nazis in that, like in that 
little moment of history. Uh, we got over it and then got into it again. Well, yeah, because um, like in the seventies, right? It's like the the defeat was still you know fresh enough that everybody you know was still feeling good and like didn't have to like summon up a ghost, like literally conjure up a right. poltergeist to you know use it for political means. So, um, I'm uh, I'm just looking at my notes. Um, I uh, I really love that they're all the music was just porn music. I love that too. It was so bizarre. It's like, uh, I mean, all all three of these movies have like intense aspects of the surreal in them. Um, I, anything with Arnold is is very surreal because he always like walks around like he's a normal person and everyone interacts with him like he's just some guy. And no one's ever like, hey, why are you huge <laughs> in his movies? And it's so, so like already you're in this sort of surreal place where everyone's just like, yes, it's normal that this man is massive and bizarre looking. Um, but uh, but it really added in the in this documentary that like all the music is porn music. No, absolutely. I noticed this as well. And I love the 70s texture of like marijuana like just outside of sight like there, there's mm. always like someone i think i think he smokes at the end which i think is cute yeah but, he's at the very end yeah there's there's like a lot of like very charming like psychedelia and like pornographic texture to all of this uh, which is yeah. especially delightful because like you said like they all are just kind of operating like through reality like as if this is normal but it makes everything kind of seem like twin peaks yeah yeah, I um, yeah. What a like bizarre little group of people. I wish I could hang out with them. I know. Yeah, I mean, it's funny if you watch. Uh, so there, like, there's a similar sort of group of guys now, like, because all these guys know each other. They all compete in the same competitions, and so you can watch like YouTube videos of these like groups of bodybuilders like working out together, like you know, and then one of them will fly in from wherever, like they'll all go out to see like, Hafthor Bjornsson and like you know dive into the the icy lake, um, and so you can still sort of feel like you're hanging out with them now, but uh, it's a it's a different vibe than. Uh, in the 70s stuff you know yeah and i mean not to do like the phone dialogue or, or whatever but it's like a lot of like these like fitness communities or whatever have been like abstracted into like instagram or whatever and um mm -hmm. when i'm working out i don't see anyone interacting and i mean this could just be like something particular to japanese gym culture as it were but like i can only really imagine it it's similar in most places and unless you're like going to like a serious like kind of like lifting oriented gym that like most places is just kind of like a get in and get out and i i find that to be a little tragic because there's definitely a, a sweet like um bronze age pervert you know charming element to their camaraderie even as like they are yeah. up against each other in competition yeah um yeah like i i really love that uh arnold and and lou are friends at the end of the movie you know me too it's so um, cute it's really cute it's really cute i guess i was asking my boyfriend about this because i never see guys who are that big at at you know like the the blink fitness that i go to or whatever um you know the like the basic gym but he says you that like hit so the gym that he goes to is like a lifting gym because he's a, a lifter um, and so he says it's a little bit more like that at the lifting gym and like that there's more camaraderie because you're, you're spotting and like cheering each other on and stuff. Um, but that's not something that I see like at my gym. No, no. All. I mean, um, the very idea of like men pursuing like uh, beauty in one way and like cheering each other on and encouraging each other is like so foreign to the contemporary moment of solid estrogen people and they're wretched right. facial hair and nintendo switches it's like Ugh. i mean it's such an obvious comment i feel kind of retarded for saying it but like nonetheless it's like pumping iron for me just like shows like this capacity for like what can happen when you forge male beauty in this way yeah um i think that that makes me think also of like the way that male friendship has changed um that uh, like male men are 
I'm trying to figure out what I'm trying to say. I think like sort of normies, lib guys uh, are not good at being friends with other guys. Mm-hmm. Um, and and uh, there's all this like gay stuff in male relationships now that doesn't need to be there. No offense, Zach. Um, but like, you know, in heterosexual male relationships that like there are, we have this weird like cultural overtone of gayness now mm-hmm. that's really strange. Uh, and so like, there's not a lot of places where men can just like be friends and support each other. Um, and so I, I like to think that that still exists. No, I think you're totally right about this. And it's something that I <clears throat> think about a lot as well, because like, the way that, like, gayness has, like, ended up seeping into, like, male communities is, like, it's not even in a way that they're, like, fucking each other or something. It's, right. it's like, <clears throat> they're all being, like, corralled into, like, kind of, like, a gay metrosexual sociability. Like, everyone is kind right. of doing, like, the endless, like, brunch, which should, like, really be relegated to faggots only. Faggots and, like, two fag hags only. Like, Barbie can come sit at the at the brunch, <laughs> but it's not okay when Barbie's boyfriend is doing it, like, with, like... And I, right. When I was, like, in America, as well as, like, kind of now, most of the friend groups I'm in are, like, and, and have seen, like, functioning, it's, like, mostly, like, girls, and then there's, like, two boyfriends allowed in. And I... I'm sure this isn't the case for everyone and and more people have, you know, male communities out there, but I really do think it's like a dying art form. Yeah. I think, well, it's because, uh, it's because our culture is becoming in general so feminized, Mm -hmm. um, that it's, it's that, that woman thing where like women see two men who are friends and then they immediately make jokes about them being gay because women don't understand respect outside of a sexual context. Like they don't understand uh like how people relate to each other in ways that aren't about like sexual Mm. value uh and so when women are in charge of everything like normal male platonic respectful relationships become like a gay thing yeah and that's like undeniable because women are in charge of culture now absolutely no you're so right and the the worst part about all of this is that like it's also like not effective and it's disingenuous for actual like lived in culturally gay people like i don't know like me and jack (laughs) sorry but right because it's like the way things used to be was that like a hand job between a straight guy and like you know some like subservient faggot who like kind of is like gets the picture like when they that that used to be able to happen but now because everyone is like gay and like asexualized and you know bloated from hormones or whatever there's like there's like no natural element where gay men can kind of like serve straight men or whatever in the way that it's like happened historically before interesting because i you know i think about this foucault is kind of one of the big pieces of uh i'm so popular season two and ever since i read about um like the old grecian models of like uh of the love of boys and how men would uh, exercise a lot of their you know sexual hang-ups on you know boys and, and uh, men it's like seeing that get totally replaced by just like tofu chewing like lib garbage is the, the <laughs> ultimate tragedy of my existence on earth that i'm i'm in this moment and not like 19th century japan <laughs> oh dear oh are you there i think i lost you I did. Nakunata. Doshita kana. Owanakata. Mata yiji ga kara kedo. And click it again. Oh, oh, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. You're back. <gasps> oh, it's telling me my internet connection is unstable. Oh, that's fine. It, sometimes it just does that. Okay, cool. Um, um how, how far did I get in that manic little monologue before it cut out? Oh, I heard I heard um, so, oh yeah, so yeah, so I think that men should in general just be allowed to handle things however they need mm. to handle them and not be sort of corralled by female ideas about like how people are supposed to, um, like, you know, like no one's allowed to get in a fight anymore is a perfect example of this. 
but really, I, men in general, like if you can just let them get in a fight really quick, the whole thing will be over. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, like uh, about what you're saying in particular, but uh, if it worked for them, great. Like, wait, we should probably just leave, leave some things alone. Um, work their stuff out. And I, I have no idea how their brains work or like why they need to do the things they need to do. Frankly, none of my business. <laughs> no, totally. I mean, this is kind of why I find Pumping Iron to be such a, a special and evocative piece of work is because it, without doing kind of like a faggoty thing of like trying too hard and making some big point about it it just you know depicts reality it, it's just an image of reality of uh these men who are really communally focused with each other um and it becomes beautiful and, and transcendental on that nature alone and i think because it is such a, a pure and well-crafted like documentary about these charismatic fascinating people it did ultimately like end up transforming culture just on its own uh, power alone. Budweiser, you created a monster and they call him Frankenstein. I'm drinking. <laughs> <laughs> Rhinestone is a 1984 film directed by Bob Clark, who like also did a Christmas story, uh, co-written by Sylvester Stallone and starring him and Dolly Parton. Uh, Sylvester Stallone plays a taxi driver who is uh, roped into a gamble that Dolly Parton takes play, uh, takes part in to see if she can't make some random schmuck a country star in two weeks. And um, in terms of our little journey through American masculinity, this movie, I think, is one of the most, like, perfect and touching and completely surreal kind of nightmarish uh, realizations of that in full force. So I'm curious what you thought about it since it was your first time. Yes, um, I loved it. It was weird. Very it was weird. so deeply weird. It was so, from what I expected, because I watched like a trailer on YouTube and like a couple of uh, clips like I think the first clip I saw was uh him singing drawing drinking sign mm -hmm. what is this experience going to be um that I really was not prepared from that like or to it but I I enjoyed it so much there are so many things to love about this weird movie it might be uh it is so deeply bizarre. Every single choice that he makes is so weird that the whole time you're like, is he, did he make a choice? Like, are they really like trying to do this or is he just a weirdo? Like, it's impossible to tell how much of how weird it is, is accidental and how much of it was on purpose. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I mean, and there's the entire premise of it, like, casting Dolly Parton and Sylvester Stallone like in the mid 80s to do a musical comedy is so left field and shocking and nothing like this ever happens anymore because nobody has a weird enough eye for culture to mind this like there is no way it's like what are you gonna do like put like Casey Musgraves and like Bradley Martin in a musical comedy yeah, now like, like what's that gonna be <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah, it really is like of its moment. Also, like the stakes are so high in Rhinestone because Dolly Parton has to have sex with her manager if it does. Yeah, if she loses the bet, she has to not only stay trapped in the hell of uh, the Rhinestone Club of New York, but she also has to sleep with her strangely like faggoty kind of manager yeah. who keeps calling her yeah. mama. 
Mm-hmm. Every time he said mama, I like had a nerve set off. I was like, oh my God, this man is literally gay. Plot point would never be allowed in a modern she like, you know, unless maybe in some like bizarre feminist horror twist, but uh, but it's just like, it's so cat. Okay, great. Sex with you. No, I thought exactly the same thing. It's like so casual, and um, the whole error of the movie and its tone is just really unplaceable with anything else. Like, um, what it, it takes place initially in New York, but like without any transition whatsoever, they are in Tennessee, like with a like a, a flash wipe, and then all of a sudden, like most of the movie is in Tennessee. She's like trying to coach. Sylvester Stallone into becoming a country star and I was mentioning this a little bit earlier but there's like so many different like layers of cultural clash going on here between like Sylvester Stallone who's like styled as like the child of Italian immigrants and Dolly Parton who is like the glamour diva country Tennessee starlet and they're all interacting with like uh, Japanese people in one scene um, with extremely like poor people with kind of the like, ghostly homosexuals like there is so much going on in terms of like the cultural baggage attached to this movie that seeing anything try to detonate it all at once is just so fabulous to me yeah it's um i really love seeing like old school racism in movies yes um like light-hearted it has a light-heartedness to it that is really funny um, and like the scene where they're having at his house and there's like three different platters of spaghetti and meatballs on the table. Oh my God. As though serving like a massive amount of spaghetti and meatballs for the meal. Um, Stallone's mom. I mean, I, that, I, that like, and then his dad is like lasciviously smacking his lips at Dolly Parton. Um, I really, I, it just was so funny and weird. Oh no, I know. And this is actually like why I think this movie is secretly extremely successful and fascinating is because when people peddle in generalities and in trope and like when they give themselves over to the impulses of larger society, which is to group people together and then make assumptions, you actually start to get something that is deeply honest and like way more like strikingly real instead of like trying to subvert everything and so like Sylvester Stallone at the table full of pasta in the most atrocious clothing I've ever seen um I just I can't take it yeah Ugh. Uh, and Dolly Parton in this is especially fabulous um there's oh yeah yeah these Dolly and Sylvester together are just so beautiful and it's in the same way that I like all like the kind of like racist trope going on it's like when you just encourage people to be like beautiful in in a uncomplicated and traditional kind of way you get like true shocking beauty yeah absolutely I'm so glad that you that we put these movies together because the I think the most surreal aspect of this for me is how Dolly Parton looks mm-hmm. uh, because she has that same thing where she has like a, a like a body that doesn't exist in reality um, or that just like seems so out of place and strange and everybody goes through the whole movie just nobody really acknowledging that she looks like a, you know like a Barbie that's come to life like she looks in a way that just people do not look and you just sort of have to accept it and move on. Absolutely. And with the costuming as well, it's it's so undeniable because they keep putting her in these fierce little outfits that just, like, they're cut so low. Like, her tits, look they're, like, enormous and also, like, like sewn to her stomach or something. Right. I don't understand her breasts. No, I don't either. I, I think about it all the time. <laughs> I just don't get it because I also have really big boobs but they do not look like Dolly Parton's at all. I don't understand if she's in like a full corset. I do not know what's going on there. I I am um, astonished and awed by it. No, she, like she, whoever- She's like a bodybuilder in this movie with those fucking tits. 
Right, that's exactly what it is. She is the female equivalent of uh, these bodybuilders because she has this outrageous, overproportioned body. I mean, she looks incredible and it's undeniable. Like everyone, I'm sure that even in real life, everyone who interacts with her uh, still, still feels that way about it. Like she just is an amazing looking person. Oh yeah. Um, in such a weird way. And um, of course, the the big thing we have to discuss here is that Sylvester Stallone is singing. Um, And, okay, I I have been trying to think about how to approach this because I am really taken aback by all of his performances in this movie, especially towards the beginning when it's just him screaming and bashing on keys. I it installs such a special and unique feeling in me. It's terrifying. Yeah. And like, well, I think what's so great about it is that he starts out like thrashing and screaming. And then the final number in the show, he does a great job. He sings, he sounds like a normal person. It's, it's lovely, you know, like good job. Um, But it, it is such a long road to get there that every single time you hear him sing until they do that number in there like in her hometown mm-hmm. where, and then he punches the guy uh, until that number, it really seems like it's not going to work out, you know? Uh, and then finally you're like, okay, he's got a good voice and it sounds good. But like the, I mean, Drinkenstein is so strange. So, so strange. So strange. His, um, you know, I, I, <laughs> Like, I don't even really know how to handle it. It was so weird. I mean, that the first time he performs in the in Dolly Parton's hometown when he just is screaming um, <laughs> and all the animals begin to, like, riot, I right. I don't know what ha- I mean, it was, like, um both very sweet to me and very charming, like, the autistic way of, like, some, like, man, like, lost <laughs> in the process. And so I was right. like, oh, that's cute. Um, and at the same time, I was, like, reeling back in my, on my sofa. Right. Well, I also find it, it's very, um, there's something really appealing about it, too, because of the way that he goes into it just completely unabashed. Yes. Like, just fully, like, fully participating in how weird it is um is very appealing really because like he should be embarrassed and he just is not at all no um and i mean there's that's kind of like the thrust of his character which i think is surprisingly like very fully fleshed out like him also in really the most horrendous outfits every single thing he wears in this movie until he puts on that glittery shirt at the end i just it is bamboozling to the eye yeah, really bad, really bad outfits. Oh, no, it's, I just, um, when they finally do get to that point when he is singing in her hometown with her on that stage, because of all of the work of making him out to be this kind of, like, beautiful, like, autist with his, like, half-paralyzed face and his <laughs> wretched outfits, and then, like, seeing him and Dolly Parton, like, convincingly sing that country number together, that is yeah. transcendence. It is, it is. It's like, and it, it sort of makes me feel like he's a genius. Yes. And this is like a brilliant performance, except that I know that that's not true. I know. But it, it does come off that way. That like, he really like puts so much into making this character as weird as possible. And I think probably it was just a coincidence that it turned out to be like so beautiful and surreal. Um, but I, I like to sort of live in that world. No, that's a world we should live in. Um, I, I would do anything to live in this, like, plastic, like, porno reality that this movie exists in of, like, people just peddling in nothing but trope, encountering, like, creepy, like, faggots, like, on the side of the road. Like, I can't stop thinking about that man trying to solicit, like, uh, Sylvester Stallone in his car being like, get in the car. Yes, yeah. Because that's, that's how I am. <laughs> like, that's me, unfortunately. It's like, I haven't been able to reach the dazzling heights of beauty that Sylvester Stallone and Dolly Parton have here. So I'm forever doomed to be the person in the truck, like, trying to pick him up off the side of the road. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, um, uh, what was I just thinking of? There's a... Uh... 
yeah i'm sorry you were talking about tropes and how like the whole thing is is handled in tropes um and i was thinking this movie is a good example of how i think that women had it better in the 80s in terms of dealing with sexual harassment because you would just get sexually harassed it wouldn't be like sex pest stuff where you're like i feel uncomfortable and i but i don't know if an offense has really occurred like men would just harass you and then you were allowed to be mean to them yeah uh and and that was the conclusion of it so like the the um between dolly and her manager fun to see i i i was watching it like with regret i was like man if you could just like tell men who are being creepy to back off and that they're being creepy that would be an easier world to live in yeah absolutely like the, you're not allowed to do that anymore because no. it's like yeah and and the way that men harass you is very different when it's actually happening uh, it, it's like a whole different thing no totally i mean i had a sex pest for the first time um just a, a few months ago and like the way that this happens is so much more sinister and like cosmically unsettling to like be like kind of like do you know that emoji that's like looking up and like making like the mm, face do you know that one yeah okay that is what fucking men do now like when they want to like sexually harass someone instead of just like doing it outright so you get like this gross like tentacly kind of like lathering of the soul instead it, it is really repulsive and disgusting to me and yeah like you said like to imagine like just you know being outright they say horny like five times in this movie as well which shocked me every time <laughs> yeah it's like yeah. imagine if, not... like putting it like putting this stuff into reality instead of just like shoveling it off into instagram dms like doing the ooh emoji to death like ugh, right. repulsive yeah god that that painted such a picture what you said like lathering god like that was a hideous statement that you just made <laughs> uh, Truly, an accurate depiction of the whole the the whole sex pest thing. My God, it's just terrible, and I mean, it breaks I my heart. I'd much rather just, like have somebody pinch my butt, you know, and then like we can handle it. Like I would much rather deal with that than like the creeping, like specter rape yeah no exactly the internet demons that they come out like with their like long tongues just like licking at your soul like please do it to me physically that like flesh is mortal and will die but my soul lives on in transcendence forever and do not soil it right yes okay hang on just a second i'm gonna deliver this plate of breakfast to my boyfriend it'll be two shakes okay cute He said it looks great, in case you were wondering. Oh, I totally believe it. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, well, I was just thinking about uh, something. Um, I really loved this, the moment where he tells Dolly Parton that she sounds like baby Hitler. I love that too. Because first of all, what? like what what like what did he mean by this all the writing in this movie is just incredible like um especially like the stuff that's like written when like dolly parton is like snapping back at um at at the creepy manager or whatever there is one really good one um there are two kinds of humans in this world and babe you're not one of them right yes that's a great one there's an incredibly bizarre moment where like with no explanation or acknowledgement of any kind, Sylvester Stallone goes, stop the music. <laughs> like in this really exaggerated, bizarre way that's completely uncalled for. And then nobody remarks on it at all. No. And like, I had to pause the movie because I was like, why? Like, I don't, I have no idea what that moment was for. And it was so strange. And one of my favorite little moments in the movie. There were so many of those. Uh, just like such a bizarre, like why did why did they let him do that? Like was that a directorial choice? Did he just do that and they left it there? Because it was so weird. We'll never know. No, he just seems like an alien in this world. And um, <laughs> he's so 
he's so sold into his uh, gorgeous masculine viewpoint and autism that it comes across as like a uh, it's like David Bowie and like the man who fell to earth honestly yeah like why is it that the autistic guys are so appealing Paulia talks about this actually in sexual persona um she says that um the image of autism in the male um kind of gives a sense of like a distant mind that is a contemplating matters more grave and serious than um what happens in the material world whereas like when autism touches a a woman it makes them look like a virginia wolf and that they're like scheming and like a you know paranoid and, and skittish interesting yeah because certainly um there is something about and that's that's what's appealing to me about bodybuilders is that they they are also like kind of like autistic nerds um yeah and it really is and that that is the thing that makes Stallone like so great in this movie absolutely it's just like so weird and like so socially odd um it's just I I my I wrote this uh, the wrote in the middle of this is why didn't they make him more normal i know he's so alienating and like it's it's difficult to like watch him sometimes because he's like so broken into this universe but by the end of it i'm like wow this is truly beautiful that this was ever allowed to like occur on the earth it's really worth how weird it is to get to the end the end is incredibly satisfying absolutely um, yeah. I think we should go on to True Lies, yeah? Okay. I just wanted to say really quick, um, the other thing that was weird about seeing this movie is that I watched it the day of the Rittenhouse verdict. <gasps> oh, no way. Yeah, so I, I came, you know, so the verdict is announced, like, at lunchtime. I'm at work at my lip lib job, so I can't, like, talk to anybody about it. Like, you know, tweeting and uh, in my group chats and, like, frantically texting my boyfriend that were like so pleased about it. And so then I come home and we just watch the video of him getting the verdict like over and over and over again. And we're like sort of processing all that. And then I'm like, okay, now I have to watch Ryan's stuff. Oh my God. But like Sylvester Stallone is like kind of like a Kyle Rittenhouse. Like they, there's like something mutual going on there. Yeah, it felt, uh, it, it felt, it felt like it worked. <laughs> but it was like, it was a funny, like a, a funny afternoon. Wonderful. Okay, so let's do, let's do True Lies. True Lies is a 1994 feature directed by James Cameron, starring, of course, Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jamie Lee Curtis. And this is kind of the perfect confluence of where Pumping Iron and Rhinestone meet in summoning a lot of malfunctioning camp, as well as glistening trope and extremely um, exciting and engaging masculinity and sexual relationships into a a blockbuster that is so literally explosive that um, I, it changed my world upon watching it. Oh, I love this movie. Me too. Um, this is my favorite kind of Schwarzenegger movie where it's just like a kind of a normal movie that happens to have like the most charming, handsome man in it. Um, it's uh, and it's so delightful because it is uh, at its most basic level, like a really simple common story about a marriage in which the two parties are not connecting uh they're you know they're like intimately not things are not working and she feels neglected and she's worried that he's having an affair it's it's this extremely basic like human thing that's happening and then it's put underneath this incredibly bizarre campy action movie plot 
and it's perfect. No, exactly. Um, James Cameron is such a genius to me for him being completely unafraid to um, touch, like, the big cultural nerve. Like, between, like, Titanic and Aliens and even Avatar, I really feel like he has a sense of um, these great, like, shifting tectonic plates of human emotion. And instead of, like, trying to be, like, coy about it or, like, try to, like, present it in, like, some, you know, artful, like, really practiced, studious way, what he does is he just uh, puts it in the most, like, blatant, like, block-like shape possible. And we get True Lies, which, like you said, is merely a a story of a marriage in trouble, um, but it's uh, summoned to full power through some of the most complex and satisfying action set pieces I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, man, I really love this movie. Jamie Lee Curtis in this movie is so wonderful. I remember, I have this incredibly vivid memory of being like 10 or 11 and watching, so that it would have been like 2000, um, watching an interview with Jamie Lee Curtis where she's talking about how nervous she was for the scene where she scripts um, and how she like, uh, she was worried about like being thin enough and then, and she was talking about how she did like, you know, a certain number of sit-ups like every day for such a long time. And that's burned into my mind because that was like when I learned about sit-ups and I started doing sit-ups and I've been doing them ever since because of Jamie Lee Curtis talking about this movie. No, I honestly think that um, the Jamie Lee Curtis stripping scene in this movie has really like formed the sexualities of a lot of women. Yeah, yes. I've, I, I I've heard this from multiple people. Hard. Um, yeah, because it was like, it's really, it's a very sweet scene, really, um, because you get to see him on, like, you know, cracking up about it. It's, it is kind of an extremely accurate portrayal of intimacy, real intimacy in a long-term committed relationship in which there is so much love that it doesn't really matter that what's happening is so silly and that you can enjoy the silliness and still have it be sexy and appealing. Um, and you don't really see, you know, sexy scenes that are able to portray that nuance of people loving each other, you know? Yeah, they Arnold and Jamie Lee Curtis have such a wonderful chemistry in this movie that is exactly for the reasons you said, which is like, there is, like, a sweet awkwardness between them as, like, uh, they've, like, spent so much of their lives together and, like, them trying to, like, figure out, like, where to proceed. Like, I, I was very touched, like, watching that scene with, like, the beautiful blue rainy light on him. Is like, he's, like, kind of taken aback by his own wife. I thought that was just so sweet and touching. Yeah. Uh, and then sort of the juxtaposition between the way that he is with his wife and then his his sort of visceral hatred for the the evil, bad girl spy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's just for, it's all very sweet. And I love like the whole story is about her discovering how hot he is basically. Yes. And it's so, it's just so wonderful to see because she sort of falls in love with him anew uh, because she discovers that, you know, really he's like a spy who's like protecting the nation, which that would, that would do it for me, you know? Oh, that's such a wonderful way of thinking about it is like, this is like the story of like her like falling in love with him and, and the man that she falls in love with, like Harry Tasker, like he is basically... Um, all of these, like, enormous tropes that we've been, like, discussing since Pumping Iron, like, realized into a very finely, like, tuned um, ultimate version of it. Like, all of this, like, big cliches of, like, rhinestone and then kind of, like, the male vision of Pumping Iron, like, they find a really satisfying, like, resting place in Arnold Schwarzenegger in this movie. Yes, absolutely. Um, And his, yeah, like, his, both his wife and his daughter think that he's like a lame boring office guy you know um and then they discover that he's actually a man they like discover him as a man in a totally new way it's very appealing wow i can't get over that that's so that's so good that them learning to discover arnold schwarzenegger as a man in this movie and um there, there's all sorts of I, oh go ahead sorry, sorry go ahead. no no go ahead no no, no. 
<laughs> well, I think like I think that that is also a sort of a, a it's an a different projection of a really normal process that I that a lot of men and of course always take this with a grain of salt because I'm like just some lady and I'm making stuff up but my my feeling is that men tend to feel uh you know demasculinized um that's there's an, a word for that um, emasculated emasculated thank you by marriage mm-hmm. um and by you know having a family that I, I think can be an emasculating experience for men because they their responsibility is kind of take over uh every other aspect of their life. And so it, it seems it's a kind of a male fantasy maybe to that your family would discover that you're a man again, like in, you know, in your middle ages, oh. because you start your relationship with your wife, with her being fully aware that you're a man because your relationship is sort of has your lust and your instant attraction and all of the beginning things. And then all of that changes the longer that you're together. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I'm really blown away by this reading of it. It like puts a lot of things together and makes me feel like even more of a genius for putting these three films together. But um, it's really special, like that James Cameron also like refuses to do it, like in like the. I don't know if you watched White Lotus this year, but th- there is this exact plot line um, in the series where um, the patriarch is kind of restored after he like proves his. Uh, when his, like, family rediscovers him as a man, like, you know, towards the end of the series. But that show to me is, like, so glib and, like, overwritten and practiced about it. Whereas, like, James Cameron does it by, like, these massively complicated stunts, like, the helicopter stuff, um, these mm-hmm. explosive set pieces with, like, the, the gunning down, and uh, the feminizing vic- the villain of it is a, an antagonist that will never appear again, which is, like, the Islamic terrorists of the early right. 90s. oh my god, that's one of my favorite things about this movie. Like, remember when we were allowed to be mad about Islamic terrorism? No, it's yeah. so fun. It's so fun to see that in a movie because you're like, yeah, it's so cut and dry. These are the bad guys. We're the good guys. Like it's a it's a nice like it feels like a fantasy now um, because like you know now like it's so convoluted now. But like it's a, it is a very like comfy little spot to be. Well, yeah, and I mean it's the other thing that's so nice and and kind of sweet and touching about this is like in the same way that Rhinestone has like that really you know outdated uh picture of like the japanese people in the back of the taxi like wanting to go to a sushi bar (laughs) just like um this like also doesn't have like any disdain for these people like it views them in a very like sweet and friendly way right like yes you, you can't ever dare to do it like if you're gonna it's always like the most tragic muslim you've ever seen if they're gonna do like a a sad depiction of them or or like you know, a, a sad terrorist who's, like, being given, like, some, you know, extra credence by, you know, racially considered plot. And there's always now these, like, plots about, you know, how difficult it was to be, um, to be a Muslim or to be, or just to look Arabic after 9-11 mm-hmm. and, like, you know, how mean Americans are. I was, like, um, where did I just see that? Midnight Mass? I don't know if you caught any of that. I missed so, it. Like, there's this um it's i mean it that's fine um <laughs> it's it's visually really really stunning and the music is great but the, it's it's also incredibly overwritten i had very similar feelings about it that i did to squid games like way too dramatic and really overwritten mm-hmm. um but there's like there there is a whole plot about like the sheriff is a muslim and he has this big long speech about like how hard it is to be muslim in america and that's like the, that's the thing that you see now like that's all that it is Ugh. Meanwhile, there's like no apology here whatsoever, and like the the terrorists are just like cute and charming, and like the whole movie, like I like they don't seem like even that evil, honestly, and it's just all kind of like a sweet way of shrink wrapping these actual like things that people have to like think about and consider like in their day to day life about like the looming threat of terrorism, and instead of making like a tragic like dialogue about it, it just is like a cute. It's cute. It's just cute. Yeah. <laughs> Ugh. Um, yeah, the, uh, yeah, I do, I love that about 
I love that this movie is so lighthearted. Um, I really hate these action movies that are like so dark and intense mm-hmm. now. I just don't want to watch them. We were talking about this like before we started officially. Um, that I just, you know, I just want to watch things that are nice. Like I don't, I hate these Batman movies that are like so portentous. And it's like, I just, you know, I just want to watch like a fun action movie where like a big guy blows something up like you know can't we just have fun no can't we just have fun honestly and i mean no one makes like fun action movies like this anymore anyway like that that whole con the the practicality of this movie and like the real like physical reality of like all of these like actual helicopters and all of these like real fires and stuff like the movie feels so like lived in and like real to the heart whereas like everything has just become like gloopy like cgi like hazy gluck such such a loss although i guess james cameron still does some big practical stunts um but in general you know all of the cool stuff you see now is mostly computer generated oh yeah such a loss yeah it's a huge loss and i Um, i think that james cameron it totally makes sense that he like ended up like swinging towards avatar which is like the complete like inverse of this in terms of like production and i think he was like very right and um he had a lot of foresight about where film was going when he decided to make that movie that way so i have like no ill will towards him and um i just uh, i i wish that there was like more um over the top like ridiculous commitment to unironic like camp like this does and i i'm Mm -hmm. I'm devastated that we don't have any narratives I mean, about that's... learning to love a man. Right. And that's why I like Tom Cruise movies though still is because he he always likes to do like big practical stunts and it's just cool to see. You love that. Everyone seems to hate Tom Cruise as well. Like my mom always has hated him for some reason. I think it's because he's like a Scientologist or something. Yeah, which whatever, but he's charming and his movies are always fun. Like, you know. No, for real. I cannot be bothered to care about any any of they're, that. They're, they're all pedophiles. Like, we can't, you just can't think about it, you know? No, exactly. And, and you can, you know, get hung up about all of that. Or you can just watch Jamie Lee, you can just watch Jamie Lee and Arnold right. Tango together. Right, exactly. Mm. Oh, that last scene is just so, so perfect. It makes me want to watch so this perfect. movie. Like, And they, like, they fully cuck the other guy, you know? Oh yeah, it's so sad. They just like, do like boot licking humiliation to him like over and over again, right. like co- complete with pissing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Ugh. Um, oh, I'm, I'm, if I was going to make a final note about all of these movies together, um, I'm just very happy that Twitter has brought me together with uh, people who can uh, earnestly and unironically uh, come together to appreciate the discovery of loving a man. <laughs> yeah. Loving a man is uh, maybe the greatest thing that there is. I, I like it. I could have said it better myself. <laughs> <laughs>